You're listening to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen O'Mara, and in this episode, we're discussing the current GP workforce and workload crisis and what can be done about it. A recent survey by the ICGP showed that the majority of GP practices can't take on any new patients at a time when the government wants to expand free GP care to a lot more people. The college has just published some proposed solutions to this in a discussion paper called Shaping the Future. I'm joined by Dr. John Farrell, the chairman of the board of the ICGP, and Professor Tom O'Dowd, a GP from Tala, who chaired the working group on future general practice and helped write the discussion paper. Welcome to the podcast, John and Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning, John, with you. Why this discussion paper at this point? Alien, over the past number of years, we have had a significant amount of queries from our members asking, can we have any influence on the difficulties that they're having in general practice? And by that, I mean that they cannot get cover to take holidays, um, to attend family events, uh, or in some cases, there isn't anybody to take over their practice when they would wish to retire. And we had so many queries about this and recognizing that the the influence of that an increase in population, increased complexity of care going into general practice, that we recognized that there was a workforce um, crisis. And we, because on behalf of the membership, then we decided to under put a working group together to try and propose some workable solutions that uh, would address the needs of our members. So, John, this is both a workload, which you've described, and a workforce issue. Uh, The workforce, people listening to this, the public might say, can we not just hire or train more GPs? Well, we would love to hire and and train more GPs. The problem is, is that we need about 300 GPs to replace the um, amount of GPs that are due to retire in the next number of years. And we haven't, we aren't training that many. And so even though the ISGP, who are the body now responsible for GP training, we took that over from the HSE last October. Um, we are currently training about 250 GPs per annum. That's set to increase again next year. And we're looking for to try and increase that number to 350 by 2026. But we know we need at least 300 new GPs to enter into the system to just replace the um, people who would like to retire but can't. And it takes four years to train a GP, doesn't it? It yeah. takes quite a while. So if you have somebody at college, if they're starting off in college today, the shortest length of time that they could be sitting in front of a patient in general practice as a fully qualified GP would be the five years in college or six years in college, unless they do a graduate entry program, and then they do their internship. And then there's a structured four-year training program, which will allow them to be, enter the specialist register on the medical council and sit in front of patients uh, looking after their needs. And what does it mean for a practice, not to mention for a patient? What does it mean for a practice if it can take on uh, new patients? Well, it's really difficult. I mean, most uh, GPs work in local communities and for many years, and it's still the case for many GPs living and working in the local community. 
And if you've got new people coming into your community and lots of the towns around because of, you know, for various reasons, you know, the cities have become prohibitively expensive to live and rent in. So we've more people living in rural Ireland. And it is really hard for people then to to find a GP because GPs are maxed out in terms of the amount of patients that they can safely see. And the other part of that is that the complexity of care has really increased. GPs, I think most people would recognise now, are the last generalists as so as specialists and hospital specialists have become increasingly subspecialised. There is nobody really left to take an overview of the patient's general medical condition, especially if they have more than one illness. Um, and the GP is fulfilling that role, but that's time consuming. And the days of seeing people just with a simple sore throat are long gone. Most people come to the doctor now and have five or six problems that they want to have addressed. This is time consuming. It's none of it is unnecessary, but it is does take longer. The consultations are longer and the time just isn't there in the day. Uh, and we've also shown in lots of studies that where we have done, Aileen, is that for every two hours of face-to-face clinical work, that generates at least another hour of administrative work, um, which is putting pressure on doctors as well. So, John, you've laid it out fairly well what the, what the problems are. Then the college decided to set up a working group. So who was on the working group? What were the terms of reference of the working group at the time? So what we needed from, so the board asked um, Professor Tom O'Dowd, who is a media past president of the college and who would have a significant interest in this matter. We asked him to chair a working group, which was made up of a number of GPs, some from the board, some from outside the board, and trying to represent all demographics and to bring that group together to come forward with some workable solutions, things that we could actually achieve in the short term and in the medium term and look at all those um, solutions and try and bring those to the various people that might be involved. We realized soon after we we put the working group together that this was this working group could produce a paper that was really going to be a lever to start a conversation about this serious issue because it's well known that if you have a functioning primary care system, there's less demands on secondary care, there's less demands on out of our services and there's less transfer of primary care, which should probably be dealt with in the community, less transfer of that to the emergency departments who are also screaming out for lack of resources. So we put this group together under the chairmanship of Tom O'Dowd and they were tasked with coming up with actually solutions that would work. But the primary aim of the of the discussion paper was to bring it to the other people involved in the provision of primary care and say, here's our solutions. We're prepared to get involved in this at any level you wish, but we need you to get involved so that we can address this problem. Thanks, John. And Tom, it is very solution focused, this discussion paper, isn't it, Shaping the Future? Yeah, that was, uh, uh, John has outlined very much the urgency with which uh, we approach this and also the rigour. We felt that given the state of the nation as it is today, people are anxious, they're fed up with people outlining the problems in great detail, but not outlining the solutions. So we were very uh, solutions focused right from the start. And um, there were a lot of surprises for us along the way. There is now quite a body of research and evidence and data produced by the ICGP, some by the academic departments about general practice in Ireland. We had well over 50 references in it, and many of those came from work that we've done in Ireland. 
we were also uh, helped greatly by the stats that Harry Comer produces on an annual basis about GP training. And the first surprise we had uh, when we delved into that data was that there are not enough um, graduates from the Irish medical schools wanting to become GPs. This was a great surprise to us. And the next thing is projecting forward, like uh, John is talking about there. We may not be able to train our way out of this crisis. So we will have to think of other imaginative ways of attracting people into general practice and be that uh, people who have uh, doctors who have spent a number of years in hospital medicine. We will need to set up some sort of scheme that we can, uh, they can have two years, say, supervised experience in a practice in order to make them eligible to become general practitioners. The document looks at 10 solutions. Let's go look at the main ones. The, as you said before, one is looking at the medical schools themselves to see about uh, having more of a profile, I would say, for general practice at undergraduate level. Would that be correct, Tom? Yeah, we think that we, we need the clinical curriculum. Uh, we need general practice to occupy 25% of that because we know from the graduate entry schools that the more exposure our uh, medical students get to general practice, the more likely they are to make a good decision. And that good decision is often to uh, apply uh, for a GP scheme. Let's look at the uh, solution about expanding GP-led multidisciplinary teams. Well, that came, Aileen, from work that we did with two large GP schemes uh, here in Dublin, where we talked to the uh, third and fourth year registrars. There were about 70 of them. And it was perfectly obvious that they were very much socialized in multidisciplinary teams in hospital. And they were frankly terrified about going into general practice as solo general practitioners or with another colleague and not having what they saw the supports. Because the one thing they had picked up from their time as uh, registrars is that general practice, exactly as John said, is very complex. It's now moved on from the sore throats into chronic disease, multimorbidity, all of that kind of thing. And they realized that they don't have all the solutions and they're not driven uh, to provide all the solutions. They realize that they need a lot of other support. Uh, and one of the key things that came up was we need f much more practice nurse support the practice nurses have shown themselves to be very adaptable, agile, willing to take on new things. And uh, the registrars and the GPs on the working group felt that we need to double our uh, uh, complement of practice nurses. I think that's entirely possible to do because uh, uh, the regional universities are now interested in putting on courses to uh, train practice nurses for the job because we're also in the same difficulty with the practice nurses. If you take a nurse from hospital, they're increasingly highly specialized. And then they come into a practice where they have to deal with chronic disease, antenatal care, immunizations, uh, drug addiction, all that kind of thing. They find it so, uh, I suppose, off-putting that in fact, some won't stay the pace and some will give up their application to become a practice nurse. 
And uh, John, just ask you then about the multidisciplinary teams, because one of the other recommendations is to uh, provide suitable premises for GP-led multidisciplinary teams. Because if you're going to have GPs working in teams, particularly in rural Ireland, you know, some of the, pre- the, the premises they're in at the moment would not necessarily be suitable, would they? Yeah. Do you see a move towards bigger practices? I do. If you can, if you can staff them, that's that would be ideal. Um, and this is what this is about. This is about staffing those practices. So in my own um, situation, we moved from our own purpose-built premises that we built 25 years ago, which was state-of-the-art at the time, but it was no longer fit for purpose. And at the start of COVID, we moved into a primary care centre. Um, we have much more space. We were able to easily incorporate the vaccination programme during COVID. And we have with us now on site, not in the same in the same building, but not you know not in our own section of it. We have public health nurses, um, dentists, the um, pediatric dental service, and we have um, physiotherapy and occupational therapy. So if we need to access those other healthcare professionals, then it's much easier to do it. And the informal context that GPs are very expert at at um, uh, organising, they're on hand. It's a better working environment. And, you know, it's certainly in the bigger towns and in the cities. I think it's going to be the way forward. Now, it won't suit everybody because, you know, lots of GPs want to practice on their own, but less and less. And certainly a lot of our newer graduates aren't really interested in practicing as single-handed or part of a dual team in general practice. They want more people so that they can provide a different level of service to the patients. And many of them want to specialise in particular areas and have a flexible work-life balance in their lives as well, don't they? Well, I think that that's one of the things that's really come forward in the last number of years and that where the younger GPs have quite wisely stated that they want a work-life balance that, you know, that wasn't always present uh, in the past and that the older GPs who worked, you know, full five days a week and then were involved in out-of-hours work and up at night and all that, that that's no longer tenable or acceptable to our younger colleagues. And, you know, on reflection, I think they're absolutely right. However, that poses even more problems is that we need more people then to provide the services that we have. And that's what we have to try and achieve. But the ICGP, for its part, is increasing numbers year on year. Um, but will that be enough is the question. So that's why we have to look outside the people that we will train uh, to other uh, other ways of, of getting doctors involved in this. And then there is a whole section on rural general practice as well, John. I mean, rural general practice offers its own challenges, doesn't it? In terms of like the population is more dispersed, there's bigger areas, there's the out-of-hours cover, there's all that to consider, isn't there? Yeah, I think, and as Thomas alludes to, I mean, that unless we get the undergraduates involved in general practice generally, then they're going to, they're not going to necessarily pursue an immediate career in general practice. And then within that cohort of doctors that we need, we need people with a specific focus on general practice. So we have suggested, and it's well known internationally now, that there be an actual pipeline from undergraduate to postgraduate to GP training um, in within rural practice. And one of the things that we've seen is that when people actually work and live in the area, many choose to stay. But if you were to ask them from the start, well, would you like to practice in rural land? Well, the answer is, is almost universally no. Um, but if they get to experience the rural practice and the um, the advantages that that has in terms of housing, cost, 
you know, access to uh, sporting facilities, etc., and all those sorts of things that are important to people, then they actually see if they live and work in an area, they can see that rural practice is very attractive. But we need to try and get people exposure to that, not just at undergraduate level, but in the GP training probe. So we have to get away from being city centric. Mm-hmm. Tom, this is another report and some cynics might say, haven't we got hundreds of reports on what needs to be done in the health service at this stage? But it's very solution focused for the reason of you want to get the stakeholders involved and you want to move it on to the next stage. What is the next stage to get these solutions implemented? Well, ultimately, and we've one of the quotations in the report, ultimately, the solution has to be political. And because um, health is... Uh, is a political process. Uh, It affects every household in the country. Uh, It affects every voter in the country. And uh, people are now well aware that uh, general practice uh, was in their corner uh, when they needed them over the last two and a half years. And of course, it has raised expectations. And uh, we're now set in trail a uh, work to engage with the political system. And uh, we're putting as much pressure as we can on for the minister and the Department of Health and the HSE to work with us in setting up a working group on the future of general practice. And again, coming from uh, uh, the council meeting with the uh, ICGP last uh, Saturday, it's obvious that people want short-term solutions as well as medium and long-term solutions. We need to address it in that way with a sense of urgency. There has been some response already, John, hasn't there? You've got a response. Yeah, we have. I mean, the Minister had already, the Minister for Health has already agreed to set up a strategic group. And we are we know we're going to be invited to uh, partake in that in that group. And I think that's really important because, as I said earlier, I mean, that if you have a properly functioning primary care system, then the rest of the building blocks with the overall health system fall into place. But they, uh, people will need to see that that's what is needed at this time. That there isn't that there is a shortage of general practitioners, and that a functioning general practice service is a huge boon to the overall health service. So we realised when we produced this document that it is a discussion paper on this critical issue, and that we need to involve the other people. So what we've done so far is we've sent to the minister, the Department of Health, we've sent to all the political parties, we've sent to all the people that we've had previous engagement with in the health committee within the dawn. And we think that we will get through, we've already had significant interest in it. So it's really watch this space as to what happens next. But the good news is, is that it has garnered interest already. And I think that that's thanks to, to Tom and his group that they've produced. I think not only kind of a solution-based document, but also something that's really well-researched and that everything that's quoted in it, we can stand over with rigour. Because general practice is changing. The face of general practice is changing, isn't it, Tommy? You've been in general practice a long time, but your practice itself is an example of a of a modern general practice in the community, but with a huge amount of services available. Yes, and uh, I suppose I would I would say that general practice has changed more in the last three years than it has in the previous 20. I, I suppose looking back on it, the scale of our ambition has increased quite dramatically over the last two or three years. We've, we've seen what we can do. Uh, we've had a taste of uh, what John calls being at the top table. We, we know we have influence and we know we uh, can use that. And that's the that's the trick, really. I, I mean, we can build very fine premises and uh, 
But the thing is putting the right staff in there. Uh, at the moment, there are significant uh, issues with staffing in that summer report to the GP and most report to the HSE or whatever. So all of those kind of nitty gritty things have to be dealt with. Many of us have good premises. There's no doubt about it. We've moved a long way on that front. And, you know, people like John are on their second generation of new premises. The challenge, of course, will be is to keep that small neighborhood feel uh, while we have big uh, practices uh, so that they don't become mini hospitals in the community. There's still a strong calling card is your GP, what the patients call my doctor. Because as you say, John, uh, general practice, your GP is your first point of contact for your personal health. And that is just so important that somebody has somebody that they can trust that will know will have their, um, they, they will know will have their back when there's difficulties. And there's more and more problems coming into general practice. All society's ills are laid at our door, firstly. And we we have to address them and we do address them. But I, I would say in, in, you know, in support for what Thomas said, I mean, the advent of the practice nursing population has been hugely beneficial. In my own practice, we have three full-time practice nurses and we could not survive without them. They do um, the vast majority of the cervical smears, they look after the blood pressure monitors, the phlebotomy, they do all the childhood vaccinations, uh, all the looks after all the cuts and bruises and dressings and that. And they're absolutely, you know, they're a highly skilled part of the workforce. But not everyone can attract the because of costing and things like pensions and all the financial things. So we need there needs to be a broader discussion about that. So while there is some supports for practice nurses and to the GMS contract, uh, they're not adequate really. And you know, if you're working with the HSE. Um, even though the, there might be difficulties with the workload and and, and the uh, shifts and all that sort of thing. But you do have a pension and you do have an exit strategy. And if you come to work in general practice, that's not necessarily provided. So these are the other aspects from a business point of view and uh, uh, that need to be addressed. And Tom has done that to some extent in, in the report when we say that the role of the practice manager needs to be developed because GPs are trained to see, they're not necessarily business men or women, they're trained to see patients and to look after people from a, a clinical point of view. So if you have a really you know, good practice manager that can take away a lot of the administrative work, which is also crippling general practice on a day-to-day basis. Tom, you've written reports, other reports yourself already. This is, this is one that you, I'm sure, are very proud of. Are you optimistic that it will make a difference? Oh, I am. I, I don't think there's any choice, you see. We've now got ourselves into a situation where we have a highly dysfunctional secondary care system. Uh, we have a primary care system that is working, but just about. The one thing that um, the TDs all fear is uh, complaints about patients not being able to see their doctor. Because Irish patients, long after it's changed in many other uh, comparable countries, uh, like to see their own doctor. And now uh, we've uh, imported the waiting lists of other systems and patients don't like it. Uh, now, they do like the, uh, the multidisciplinary nature of it, but they want to see it, uh, their own doctor with their, his or her fingerprints all over it. They do want that level of involvement of their own doctor. So I am optimistic. I must say I, um, I feel for me it's the wrong time to be going, but... Uh, <laughs> There we are. John, have you anything further to add? I would be more cautiously optimistic. 
<laughs> I think we've seen, I mean, I, I, I think we've produced a really decent document. I think that we have spread it far and wide and now we're awaiting the response and that response will dictate where we take this. And I think that that's what we need to do because as I've said, you know, functioning primary care takes the pressure off a dysfunctional secondary care system and it provides quality care where people need it in the community. Let's hope the economy uh, stays um, robust. We're, we're very dependent on a good economy. On that note, I'll wrap it up. Thanks to Dr. John Farrell and Professor Tom O'Dowd for joining me on today's episode of GP Works, which we recorded here in early November 2022. To read the discussion paper in full, go to the ICGP website, icgp.ie, and we'll share the link in the programme description with this episode. Remember, we have more episodes of GP Works in case you've missed them and new ones coming regularly. You can find GP Works on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts and do subscribe and tell your colleagues. I'm Aileen Amara and thanks for listening. <laughs>